0: Body Wrappers Angela Luzio is happy to sponsor this episode of Conversations on Dance. Body Wrappers Angela Luzio is known for its fine, total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, Principal Dancer with the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premiere. On March 19th, Tyler will be teaching a master class at Dancewear Corner in Orlando, Florida and hosting a fashion show of her beautiful, original leotard designs that fit perfectly, move well with the body, won't ride up in the back, and are ideal for class, rehearsal, and performance body wrappers makes additional apparel for all disciplines and significant to dance teachers this time of year body wrappers performance wear remix for competition and recital consists of various components that can be mixed and matched to create a unique costume that you won't see anywhere else just like the one featured in the ad on the conversations on dance website you may view all the products at BodyWrappers.com or to purchase Body Wrappers performance wear remix items, go to your favorite dance shop or online store. To view and buy the entire collection of Tyler Peck designs, go to com. This episode is brought to you by the Kennedy Center. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro.
1: And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance.
0: This week, we head back into our archives to our time at the Kennedy Center in October of 2017. With this episode, we are delighted to share an inside look into the world of arts administration. Today, we are speaking with Meg Booth, the Director of Dance Programming at the Kennedy Center. Meg attended the University of Notre Dame, where she received a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. She began her work in the arts at North Carolina Dance Theater before joining IMG Artists as an associate. She went on to work with Twyla Tharp and Mikhail Baryshnikov before landing at the Kennedy Center as the marketing manager. After four years in that position, in 2007, Meg would become responsible for all the dance scene on Kennedy Center stages. Hear her talk about her journey, how she decides what companies and works to bring to the Kennedy Center audiences, and the puzzle of logistics she goes through to bring these world-class performances to fruition. As a note, we wanted to bring this episode to you in conjunction with the announcement of the Kennedy Center's 1819 season of dance. Since this was recorded in October, it was before the final performances of the Suzanne Farrell Ballet. Since Meg is the administrative director of the Suzanne Farrell Ballet, we talk at length about the company and what was expected from the final performances. For more on what is coming to the Kennedy Center in their new season, visit tkc.co slash new season. So thank you Meg for joining us today. We're so happy that you are having us here at the Kennedy center this weekend. It's been so much
1: fun in a very, very busy weekend. So. It is a pleasure to have
0: you. <laughs> it's been so fun. So we're really excited to take this time to talk about some of the behind the scenes of the ballet world and the dance world that we haven't really gotten a chance to explore yet. So as the director of dance programming at the Kennedy center, we're going to hear all about what you're up to. <laughs> Terrific! <laughs> so what a busy week to be here for. Know, yeah, right? absolutely.
1: Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your background in dance?
2: Yes. I actually am not a trained dancer. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to school and have a BFA in studio, Mm -hmm. art studio, with a concentration in photography. Um, My parents were both educators, and I had no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, And their whole philosophy was education for education's sake. Mm -hmm. The only things that I was interested in doing were studio classes and my art classes, Mm -hmm. So I had um, slight heart palpitations when I called to say I wanted to major in art studio. Mm -hmm. Um, And fortunately, they said, that's terrific. We don't have enough artists in the family. But uh, and so my concentration is in photography. So I um, have a strong eye for strong visuals. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm not trained in dance. Um, Immediately after I graduated, I did some volunteer service and then started working in a photo lab and studio. And I started thinking what can i take pictures of that would sell in galleries and i was starting to have a modicum of success i had a solo show and um after i sold my first piece it uh was Slightly unpleasant because I didn't know who bought it. They bought it off a gallery wall. (laughs) I didn't know what they were thinking when they saw it. And it was just so uncomfortable for me. And so literally I quit my job. I jumped in my car, drove around the United States visiting my friends and then landed in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I had some friends from college. And I just thought, I know I want to stay in the arts, but I don't know what I want to do. And, um, I got to North Carolina shortly after Sally Allo passed away. He was artistic director of North Carolina dance theater And just through friends, I met some people on staff at North Carolina Dance Theater. They were on the brink of bankruptcy and um, they lost almost their entire administrative staff. And I remember talking to the then executive director and he basically said, if you're willing to work really hard, um, we have a job for you. And at 23, he gave me the title director of operations. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what it meant. Mm -hmm. And so I literally um, remember Walking around and interviewing the only people that were on staff, peculiarly, um, were the production manager, Doug Singleton, who is now the executive director of the now Charlotte Ballet, the wardrobe staff and director of the school. And I just remember talking to them saying, well, what do you think a director of operations should do for (laughs) (laughs) North Carolina Dance Theater? (laughs) Because I'm not sure what I should do. But as I left, I really left as company manager. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I felt that role. And I was hooked. The studios at the time, the um, building at the time was a big warehouse that had these demi-walls between the administrative staff and the studios. And, you know, being able to listen to class and rehearsal all day, I was just completely hooked and that was it. Mm
1: -hmm. What was that like, having to learn on the job like that, like to the extreme, a position you weren't necessarily trained for? Did you ever think that you would be in arts administration or... You
2: know, No, you I mean, I went to Notre Dame, so I have a strong liberal arts background. And, you know, all through college, my parents just said, the only reason you're in school is just to learn how to think. So don't worry about what you're learning. You're just learning how to think. Get through it. Um, and, I mean, it was really the perfect environment to come into because I um, like to think of myself as a chop chop person. <laughs> um, I just like to get things done. And going into an environment where there was so few administrative staff and so few people to get things done, it was just like a blank canvas to be able to help out in so many different ways. So I got to do workers' compensation, I got to book tours, I got to book buses, I got to get Alonzo King a bagel with cream cheese in the morning because that's what he wanted for breakfast. Um, you know it was like whatever it was that day it was just fun to have a diversity of opportunity. Mm-hmm. I learned about visas, contracts, negotiated um, choreographer contracts It was like anything that needed to be done mm-hmm. I just got to do it because there was nobody else there to do it so
0: so you're automatically right away seeing the inner workings of a big, organization, like an arts organization like that. Yeah, yes. It's a
2: lot. Yes.
0: <laughs> and maybe um just one s- silly story. We
2: also did uh education performances for kids mm-hmm. at the Belk Theater or the Blumenthal Theater down in North Carolina. We had um one day there was you know, three thousand screaming children and of course I had to get out on stage, which again is not me. Mm-hmm. Um to welcome everyone and tell them the procedures, et cetera. And I remember Bill Biondolino, who became a feral dancer, um, was at North Carolina Dance Theater at the time. Just before I went on stage, he looked at me and he's like, Meg, we have got to talk because your feet look like boats in those shoes. (laughs) Um, Yes, quite an indoctrination to being on stage. Maybe why i never wanna be anywhere close to it, but yeah, it was terrific.
0: So after your time at North Carolina Dance Theater, you, some of your first jobs were working with Twyla Tharp and Mikhail Baryshnikov. Um, so how did these opportunities come about? And how do you feel like these experiences um, prepared you for your future? I, um,
2: and actually before I worked with Misha and Twyla, I worked at IMG Artists. Mm-hmm. So that was the job that brought me up to New York. Um, and I have always thought that now today as a presenter, having the opportunity to have worked um, in a company in a management agency, and then for a presenter, has really gave me given me a terrific like triangulation mm-hmm. of the industry sure. um, to be able to see different pressures and needs from all different sides. Um, and so at IMG, it was a different time. It was the late nineties. And there was a lot more touring for a lot more companies. And I just think of that time kind of as my um, master's in arts management in a way, because I mean, there was such a hustle. And because there was so much money at the time, uh, when I first got to IMJ, they literally said, why don't you go get a, a subscription to the Joyce Theater? And you know, there's such a network of artists that right. literally – you know, three, four nights a week, you could go out and either see any of IMG's artists mm-hmm. that were performing in New York or any other performance that you wanted to. And, you know, the tickets would be underwritten and uh, it was just absolutely extraordinary. Um,
1: so that was a way to sort of absorb like your dance education, like it to, was. to be able to see all those different companies and different in art.
2: person. Yeah. And of course so many people and companies come through New York Um It was terrific. And so how did I move? So from IMG, and I actually, in retrospect, would have liked to stay there a little bit longer because the learning was just so extraordinary. You're on the phone with presenters all over the country all the time. You're talking, we had a roster of 13 different artists who we managed their US tours, but then we also coordinated with their international management. And sometimes we did it ourselves um, for their international tours And it was just extraordinary to really understand that different presenters are looking for different things, that audiences in different um, cities are completely different, Mm -hmm. they're trained differently, they have a different education base, Uh, audience outreach at the time was dramatically different between different locations, Um, there was just a lot of learning, but... Um, I got a phone call from the person that I actually replaced at IMG who I had become friends with. His name is Adam Miller. His um, brother is Sam Miller, who is director of The Pillow, had worked with Misha for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Adam just said, you know, Misha needs a company manager. We told them about you. They're expecting your resume. Make sure you get it to them tomorrow.
0: Wow.
2: And so, you know, when you work in dance and you get a phone call that says misha's expecting your resume you send it (laughs) (laughs) so um so what happened so it was actually for a two and a half week tour down in florida and they asked me to take the job which was just a contract position and of course at the time i didn't have close to two and a half weeks of vacation time so i asked my boss nancy gabriel who um is absolutely extraordinary and taught me so much um I presented her with the problem Mm -hmm. that I had this opportunity to go on tour with Misha, but I didn't know what to do about it. And, um, she of course said, no problem. Like you don't say no to this opportunity, Mm -hmm. go ahead and do it. And you can do leave without pay, which I didn't even know was a thing at the time. Um, so I did that. And at the end of the two and a half weeks, they they asked if I would, um, come on full time.
1: And, uh, of course I said, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, a side note, I was wondering, was Miami City Ballet with IMG when you mm-hmm. were there? Because mm-hmm. they did so many... I I, I actually feel um, I have a personal connection to this because... Uh, the first company I ever saw was Miami City Ballet and it was presumably through a tour that maybe you even helped book.
2: Maybe. Because mm-hmm.
1: um, not a lot of companies were going to these smaller cities, but Miami City Ballet did a lot of big uh, college town tours and yes. things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that those have kind of dried up in general throughout the country? Is it just the money? I mean, as the economy has become depressed, people tend to you know, cut out the arts first.
2: I don't think it's a simple answer, right. but um, dance is expensive. Uh, yeah. And particularly when you're looking at big ballet companies, to move a company of 60 people or yeah, mm-hmm. um, 100 people right. is just infinitely more expensive than it is to move a group of 15 people. Um, but it is, as a presenter now, I can say that there are very difficult choices when... You have to and so you have to train yourself to separate the art from the finances um and every day you are creating arguments, i guess, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. as to why art is worth losing money on
1: right um you can't yeah being in the business of art, that's a very different thing from being in the business of business, right, right
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. And so it's interesting to 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 literally make arguments about choices you have to make because mm-hmm. say for example now, you know, you have to reduce your net deficit and you can do it in any host of ways, but something is going to suffer. And so then you really start looking at the art argument and what is going to work best for our audience now and why and, you know, what story and narrative are you trying to tell over what period of time? Um, And it's difficult, but again, in the industry, I think, you know, from the nineties to today with technology, so many people have so many new entertainment choices. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, everybody talks about this. You can go to the movies, you can watch um, extraordinary dance on your phone while you're in the Metro. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, that's one, there's more competition. Um, another is that there is less arts education in our schools. And so culturally um, kids aren't being brought up with the pattern as much as they were historically right. to appreciate and attend um, the arts. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are a lot of different different things that are leading to a scenario where um, there's less dance touring than there used to be.
0: Right, so let's get to your time at the Kennedy Center. How mm-hmm. did you end up um, getting here and getting your first, you were first the marketing director, correct? Mm-hmm, I actually, well, I came to the Kennedy Center for a fellowship that Michael Kaiser
2: had created. It was at the time the DeVos, no, before DeVos, it was oh. the Vilar Fellowship. Um, and the intention of it was that it was a mid-career transition point. Mm-hmm. And so why did I come down? Because I had been working with Twyla Mm -hmm. and um, in my time working with Twyla, we built Moving Out. She built Moving Out on John Celia and Keith Roberts and Elizabeth Parkinson. We put that on Broadway with the expectation that it would last for six months. Mm -hmm. And we booked a tour for Twyla Tharp Dance after After. that. Of course, Moving Out was so successful that we then needed to audition a whole nother company (sighs) to do the Twyla Tharp dance tour. So we did that. And through touring realized that Moving Out was so successful, they needed a group for a national tour. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, Twyla decided that she was gonna fold Twyla Tharp dance, which you know she's famously done on and off over the decades. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that left me with the opportunity to do something else. And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. you know, after you work for Brechnikoff and Twyla Tharp, I think Merce was maybe one of the only people I still wanted to work with, Mm -hmm. but, uh, or at the time. And so somebody told me about the fellowship at the Kennedy Center, and I really saw it as an opportunity to kind of pull back a little bit and Mm -hmm. reevaluate. So I came down for that and um, towards, I don't know, they, they asked me, there was a marketing position that had come available and they asked if I would consider it.
0: I wonder, you were talking about um, your experience with photography. Mm-hmm. I immediately made me think of marketing, and you guys are, in fact, in the middle of a photo shoot today for promotional photos. So how do you feel like that experience really helped you in your marketing position? The photography? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I think I just have
2: a trained eye, and so, so much of marketing is, is uh, something attractive to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting, because I don't necessarily think that my time in photography helped me towards marketing. I think a lot of it was working at North Carolina Dance Theater and working with presenters mm-hmm. and trying to understand what they needed to sell it. And then a big part of my job at IMG was calling the presenters on all of the tours that we had booked and saying, mm-hmm. how are sales? what do you need? Can we get some press going for you? Um, and just staying up to speed on making sure that they had their beta for TV, which was more prevalent than, and Mm -hmm. all the images that they needed. And so, um, I think it was really my time at IMG, um, just talking to all different presenters and understanding how they sold something. And then, debriefing with them afterwards as to whether or not it was artistically and or financially successful as an engagement for them mm-hmm. that helped prepare me for that yeah.
0: We want to take a moment to talk to you about our sponsor, Studio Headphones. Studio wants to revolutionize the way people see headphones, not just as a tech device, but also as an accessory. In the current headphone market, it seems that you can choose between one of two things tech or style. But Studio is bridging that gap by bringing you high quality sound that matches the quality of even the highest rated headphones on the market with a fashionable and modern look for a fraction of the cost. Michael and I have both been loving our sleek tray-style studio headphones. They are sleek and lightweight, and have sound transparency that allows you to hear traffic and conversations around you, making these headphones perfect if you live in a busy city. The Bluetooth technology makes these headphones wonderful to use when you are warming up for class or performances, so you won't get tangled up in wires. So don't wait! Start listening to conversations on dance today with studio headphones. We are happy to be able to offer our listeners fifteen percent off any purchase when you use promo code Dance at checkout. Go to studio.com, that's S-U-D-I-O dot or click the link in the description of this episode on iTunes. Now, let's get back to it. So can you offer us some specifics about what your role is as director of dance programming? Sure. <laughs> um. Uh, sometimes I like to think we try
2: to make things as complicated as possible at the Kennedy Center. Um, <laughs> so within our department and Art Preram-Prin is right here. He's manager of the department. Hi, but, um, Hi
0: Art. <laughs> <laughs> he's sitting quietly. <laughs>
2: there are only three of us full-time in the dance programming department at the Kennedy Center. Oh, wow. And um, the responsibilities of our department are um, – Should I start at the top? So I curate the ballet season Mm. and um, our team uh, implements and executes the entire ballet season, which is largely driven by a um, collective bargaining agreement with our orchestra where we provide seven weeks of ballet work to our orchestra a year. So we are fortunate to have seven weeks of ballet. Mm. In addition, I collaborate with a colleague, Alicia Adams, who has the primary curatorial thumb on contemporary dance. But from idea, from concept, then I bring that over to my team and we execute it entirely, just the same as we execute ballet. Mm -hmm. In addition, we produce the Suzanne Farrell Ballet. We produce demo uh, with Damien Wetzel and other um, small projects. And we uh, produce a local dance commissioning project, which uh, supports the local community and underwrites or gives grants to two local artists to create a new work each year for Millennium Stage. Millennium Stage is Kennedy Center's um, Three hundred and sixty-five days a year, free performance for the public, which is also wow. streamed online, which is pretty extraordinary if you yeah, think about it. Is, it. Yeah. Um, and so, we put about twelve artists on the Millennium Stage each year, which who are primarily local. So we have from our smallest stages to our largest stages. Uh, we're really fortunate to be able to work in pretty much every single space in the building. Mm.
1: So you have this kind of framework that is going to be there every year. You have, um, certain companies that, uh, come back year to year, uh, mm-hmm. the Ski, ABT. Um, but then beyond that, how do you fill in the blanks? Do you have ideas of which companies you want to bring years in advance? How do you, uh, are you approached by them ever? How does that start to qu- sort of come together?
2: Mm-hmm. It's a really incredible jigsaw puzzle that doesn't have a hard edge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, And so, yes, I think, you know, after 20 plus years, you start to collect people who um, feed you ideas and information and you try to read as much as possible and you try to stay up on various projects and or choreographers. And um, so you slowly start to put it together. And so there are times where you learn about a project and you want that project no matter what. And so you're going to make that happen. Um, there are other times where companies are important and you really want a company to be able to come to the Kennedy center and be present. And so you, uh, um, you know, you're always kind of waiting for the right time to strike at the right thing. And it may be that you're watching a company for a long time and you don't quite have the right rep to bring. Sure. And then it works or, um, you know their touring doesn't line up with the weeks that you have available, right. mm-hmm. which is peculiarly one problem that people think you know the Kennedy Center has nine stages. Mm-hmm. You know the world is our oyster, right, But when you realize uh, the volume of artists that are coming to the Kennedy Center right. and the demands on those theaters. You know, we have the Washington National Opera and the National Symphony Orchestra that both call the Kennedy Center home. Mm-hmm. We have a robust musical theater program um, that brings all sorts of Broadway shows in, um, and so between musical theater, ballet, and um, the opera, there's extraordinary demand on the Opera House. Right. And when you're moving the big, big companies, mm-hmm. you know they may only have three to five weeks a year that they're going to be right. available, mm-hmm. and so. Um, It is interesting because sometimes you have to plan those weeks four years in advance or you're not going to have them.
0: That was actually one of our questions. We wanted to know when you do bring in one of these big organizations, where do you start and kind of how does that process go? So four years ahead of time. And then what's what are the next steps? What briefly do you go through to get everything to happen?
2: Um, So, yes, I think I work. A minimum of three years in advance because, you know, again, some of these companies have very short windows. Mm -hmm. And so um, you can learn what the window is for the company that you want to bring in. And Mm -hmm. then I have to go back here um, within Kennedy Center administration and try to wrangle weeks away from the WNO or musical theater. and juggle it all uh, mm-hmm. to make it fit, right. because each of those entities has their own pressures. The mm-hmm. WNO needs to have a certain number of weeks at a certain number or at a certain time of the year in order to achieve the productions that they want to achieve. Um, so, for some companies, you just hold the date mm-hmm. for a long time. Mm-hmm. Some of the companies, you know what the program is going to be, maybe because you've been talking about X, Y, or Z, but others. um, So for example, with New York City Ballet, we date them, Mm -hmm. but then as the years advance, we start um, looking at repertoire and what is up in their repertoire. And then you just start the dance of what repertoire is up and ready to tour. What have we done in the past? and what would make most sense for our audience. And then as you start to get the puzzle pieces in place, you also have to create a balance, not only within that company and within that company's history at the Kennedy Center, but then within every other company's history at the Kennedy Center um, to make sure that you're not doing too much of any one thing. Right. Um,
1: I was wondering specifically regarding Rep, um, who who puts the first ideas forth? Is it the company that says we'd like to bring this or do you guys say we want you to do this? And then completely there's, there's absolutely not.
2: <laughs> it completely varies by company. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: you just kind of have to work with it, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. That makes sense. And you also have different trust levels with different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I th- I, the artist's voice is the most significant. Right. And so I'm always interested in knowing what the artist wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, I sat down with I sat down with Yuri every single year, Yuri mm-hmm. Fative to say, "This is the history of what the Marinsky has done at the Kennedy Center. This is what I have planned for this upcoming season." You know, let's try to fill in blanks. And right. I'm always interested in. You know, because he'll come in and say, well, I've got these three principals who are dancing this role in this ballet so exceptionally, Mm -hmm. like the time is right to strike on this ballet right Right. now. Mm. Um, And, you know, you just put all of that information together to try to find the balance. Mm.
0: Yeah. So how did you first become involved with the Suzanne Farrell Ballet, which calls Kennedy Center home? How did I first get involved? It was
2: when I was in the marketing department. And so... um, I guess I was in marketing in 2004 at the time where, I mean, the, the Suzanne Farrell Ballet was only about three years old, three or four years old at the time. Mm-hmm. And so it was marketing her programs. Um, and I think, I can't remember if it was when I was still in marketing or after I had moved up to dance programming that, for example, one of the programs we created was Notes from the Ballet. Mm-hmm. Susanna is so extraordinary in the stories that she tells and the history that she's had in the studio and with Balanchine and Stravinsky and Robbins. And, you know, um, we wanted to create an opportunity for her to tell those stories and talk about the significance of the repertoire and um, the significance of the history that she lived, Mm -hmm. that nobody else lived the way she did. Mm -hmm. And so we created a program called notes from the ballet, which gave her an opportunity to talk about all of those things that she knows in a way that nobody else does. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course now, uh, fift- 15, well, however many years later, um, 16 total for the company, um, as we celebrate the final year, we are putting all of that storytelling in a book which will Amazing. chronicle the yeah. history of the company That's here at great. the Kennedy Center and it is going to be gorgeous.
1: Oh. Say, I love notes from the ballet because I'm on oh, the good. email list so they always like anytime I see an email from the Kennedy Center I, I'm like, yes! Ah! <laughs> Such a good ballet geek Thing, it, yes. <laughs> if you love Suzanne's book and you know Suzanne, mm-hmm. yeah. this is just like you're getting little tidbits like that. It's what she has to say it's so fascinating yeah.
2: and it, you've read her book, yeah. which I think is the juiciest beach read ever. Oh, it's the God. best. It's the best it. book. I love her book. It is. It's fun. Mm-hmm. there just nobody else in the world led her life.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, what can Kennedy Center audiences expect from Suzanne's final season?
2: It's going to be a really special evening. Mm-hmm. Actually, four very special evenings. And so the choices that she has made for her final season here at the Kennedy Center, um, I'm going to start with what I think is going to be her most significant um, legacy, really. It's Mm -hmm. Guno Symphony, Mm -hmm. which the reason I think it's most significant is that she recostumed it in a way that shows geometries that were never before seen or known because they were hidden under long skirts. And so, in recostuming it, she recostumed it in short black and white skirts, where um, there are quite a few. You probably know it's 32 dancers on stage.
1: It's a big ballet, yeah. It's a big ballet.
2: Um, and, you know, not only the geometry of the dancers on stage, but then when you start looking at the choreography, particularly for the legs, mm-hmm. um, it's something. I mean, she's really gifted us a Balanchine black and white that nobody's ever seen before because mm-hmm. it was hidden. Cool. Um, so I am most excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the other bookend is Serenade, which um, everybody in ballet uh, that knows anything about it, you know, it's it's the alpha. It's mm-hmm. where you begin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Meditation, which is the first ballet that Balanchine created on Suzanne. Mm-hmm. Sagan, the first Balanchine, ba- the first ballet that he created on her when she returned from Dancing with bejar mm-hmm. and Chaconne, which is a very important,
1: beautiful ballet. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Ballet to Suzanne as well. It's mm-hmm. emotionally important to her, and so what she has done is really select ballets that were most important um, to her history when she. Was dancing with uh, New York City Ballet, but then again, I think Guno. The choice was that it's been one of her most significant restagings. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so. so the 60th anniversary, so we mm-hmm. can throw that in there. Yeah, <laughs> but it's amazing that she can do something like I. I love this element of what of Suzanne's work that she kind of rescues these um, dying or nearly extinct balancing ballets yep. from Balanchine preservation
2: initiatives.
1: It's amazing, mm-hmm. and that. You can shine up something that's 60 years old and it looks, it feels like a new ballet. It's almost like getting a new, having Balanchine choreograph a new work.
2: It is. It's kind of interesting too, because in the evolution of it, when we were talking about creating it, we had talked to Paul Epstein um, as well. And I remember Paul saying, Paul was uh, Balanchine's lawyer. He's a member of the trust, um, Paul kept insisting that <laughs> there have to be so many like little eight millimeter films in people's attics that Where they don't they? know they have exactly. Bring them out. Yes. Yeah.
1: And I'm um, like if seven deadly sins can just please pop out of someone's attic. Really? I we 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 need it. Suzanne could I mean
2: They've got to exist because, you know, I mean, even Suzanne, you know, her mom fil- filmed mm-hmm. things. Yeah. And, you know, so many family members filmed things from the balconies and such right. that they're out there. Yeah. And so she did as much as she could to pull as many of those old films as possible. Yeah. Um,
1: I love the story about the Practa where um, the video that she restaged it from Arthur, Arthur was missing. There. Yeah. So she restaged is a but it's just Suzanne doing it by herself That's amazing. and she had to restage from that.
2: Yep. Wow. So she created as much as she could from what she remembered of Arthur's um choreography but Mm then and you know she spoke with the trust but
0: she filled in the gaps as best she could that's amazing yeah what a great story (laughs) um so we wanted to go back for a second to talk about um the internships that are here at the kennedy center Mm -hmm. um you mentioned that you were a part of the program so why do you feel like these internships are so important for contributing to the arts community across the country
2: the kennedy center internship program I think is extraordinary. First of all, the Kennedy center is extraordinary. We have nine stages. We have every single discipline represented in this um, building Um, and we are adding new disciplines. And so we now have a program for hip hop culture Um, and we just continue to push the boundaries and explore all of the arts that exist across the United States and the world. Um, And we have an internship program where uh Anyone is welcome to apply, information is on the website. (laughs) Um, And it gives uh, our interns the opportunity to work and learn in a building that is putting up almost 3000 performances a year. And so the exposure to just what is going on here is pretty radical. And uh, it's always really interesting to me. Um, how deep into this conversation do you want to go? But, uh, <laughs> as deep as you want. <laughs> so I'm gonna like step aside and talk. We took Su- we went out. To- we took Suzanne out for her birthday recently, mm-hmm. and we started having this really wonderful like existential conversation about you know there's nobody in the world who's led your life, and mm-hmm. how was it that all. Everything lined up mm-hmm. for you to be you at the time when Balanchine was creating all of these things. And her answer at one point was, "I just showed up." <laughs> and, um, you know, she said, "I did that. Not everybody came into the studio every single day and like gave it that extra bit." Um, but she did. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing about the interns, and one of the things that I recommend to people all the time when they do their informational interviews is to always find the smartest person in the room, uh, which is frequently the person that intimidates you the most and align yourself with them and learn from them Mm -hmm. and make yourself present. Um, Because there are some people who are going to be in an environment and they're not going to make make themselves available to absorb and learn, Mm -hmm. but then there are others who 100% are toe to toe and they are standing there when somebody needs help and somebody has an opportunity for somebody to get involved in a deeper way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, all of the interns that are here, their responsibility is to be that person, um, so that they can learn and absorb and get more deeply involved. And then, Either stay at the Kennedy Center um, in any number of positions or um, bring that knowledge um, out around the country. Mm-hmm. And so that is one of the things that I love most about the internship. Yeah. Um, not only that, but you also have this cycle of fresh energy and new ideas mm-hmm. that can constantly augment and expand what we're doing here. Yeah. So I, some of the favorite things that we do in the office are just sit down. And, you know, everybody brings themselves to work Mm -hmm. and everybody has their own interests and responses to the world and things that they want, have seen last night or read about. And it's always interesting to have conversations with our interns and um, with the team about what they think is interesting and what's going on. And I think that's great. Yeah.
1: So what are you most looking forward to for the remainder of the dance season here at the Kennedy Center?
2: Oh, that, uh, excellent I mean, question. And It's <laughs> funny that you're asking today because, mm-hmm. I mean, literally, like, we feel like we're just about crawling onto the top of Mount Everest this week <laughs> um, because um, even though we're only in October, um, you know, as we stated earlier, we produced Damien Wetzel's demo on Jerome Robbins. We have the Marinsky in the house. We have photo shoots going on. You all are here to do um, multiple podcasts with multiple artists. We have the Suzanne Farrell Ballet rehearsing. Mm -hmm. Um, What else do we have? We had um, some name stage artists come in earlier today to look at the space. And so it feels like, okay, just get through Monday and then we get (laughs) an exhale. But um, let me think about this season because we always live in about three at any given time. (laughs) <laughs> how to keep it all straight yeah. it's hard yeah I it's bet. hard <laughs> um i don't know it's weird because we just go from strength to strength and to see mm-hmm. so many different artists um we're gonna give the world premiere of camille brown's latest work inc and we have never had camille brown here and uh I am really looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. Great. So just to wrap up our interviews, we like to do a section called our lightning round, which you may be familiar with. (laughs) Art likes it. it. Um, So it's just a series of quick questions and you can just give us the first answer that comes into your mind. So what is your favorite dance work to watch? Oh, I don't have one. No, too many. We'll give you like three.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's so hard Mm -hmm. that you i don't have one I, there i like different things at different times different artists and different things That's It's honestly really good when you're the director of programming <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i like it when magic happens and yeah. there are certain days when the right person is dancing the right thing at the right time and it's just extraordinary and it can be tap and it can be kingdom of the shades mm-hmm. and when it's right it's right That's i love great.
1: that <laughs> uh, what's uh your favorite dance event that you've brought to the kennedy center
2: Probably Ballet Across America that we did just this past year, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, was so much fun. We had Misty Copeland and Justin Peck curate. We had Ezra Hurwitz create gorgeous, gorgeous films. Um, uh, We had Jeremy McQueen uh, create a ballet for us. Uh, It was so much fun.
0: I don't know if you're allowed to say, but are you going to do something similar like that again?
2: We will okay. do ballet across America
0: again, um, and all of it is a design, okay. okay um do you have a dream company or performance or production that you'd want to bring to the Kennedy Center? I feel like I live that every day, yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> um so yeah, I mean and i've I feel like I've been able to answer it every. Year yeah. for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, is there a company that hasn't been here? I mean, I do have a short list of companies that I'd like to bring back that are very challenging to bring back, but um, I don't know. There's not just one. Yeah. Like, literally, I have a list of companies and projects that is two sides of a page yeah. that I'd like to bring
0: to the so Kennedy Center. Keep, keep looking at the website for when that it's that coming. Must be,
1: I mean, that sounds like fun that yeah. you get to sort of, <laughs> you know, have. You can be like a kid in a candy store and be like, I want this and this and that. And that you can just see some of that come to fruition must be really satisfying.
2: Sometimes I pinch myself because (laughs) um, there aren't very many places that you can bring as many extraordinary artists Mm -hmm. and companies um, month after month, year after year. Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. That's the thing. You have so much time to program that you can have a list that big because Mm -hmm. someday you can... Cross it all It's
2: hard. I have to say it's hard because for as much as the Kennedy Center is able to do, I mean, truly, it is a double-sided page, single-spaced with companies and projects mm-hmm. that we would like to see. Um, and, you know, I just, it's a working list. So you see something, you're interested in it, you, you put it on that list and down. then you have to narrow it down to like seven contemporary, seven ballet every year. That's mm-hmm. hard. I think yeah. It's hard.
1: So uh, if money were no object and you could have the biggest budget you could think of what would your dream outreach program look like?
2: Dream outreach program? It would probably be something where, um, and so it would be something like this. It would be taking a whole bunch of literary artists and visual artists and identifying like 10 different pieces of work as inspiration and probably getting 10 or 15 companies to go out into schools and to work with kids to draw inspiration from literature or art and then create a ballet around it and pair musicians with that and then put it all on stage so that their families and friends could come see them
0: perform at the Kennedy Center. Love that. Oh my gosh, that's that so sounds great. so great.
1: Let's, let's find that budget. Yeah. Right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for chatting with us. and Thank you so both. And
1: thank having you both. us here. We and thank you for day. hosting us this weekend at the Kennedy Center. Yeah. Oh, our... it's
0: so wonderful to have you here. Thank <laughs> you for the terrific work <laughs> that, that, that you so do. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week. We have a lot of really exciting announcements coming up and great new content planned for the rest of 2018. So we hope that you will all continue to join us for that and subscribe now on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that you are automatically notified of new content as soon as it goes live. We also hope that you're following us on social media at Conversations on Dance. Thanks for listening. See you next week.